Hey y'all, it's Janice. Welcome to the Dirty Diversity Podcast. This is a place where we will be exploring equity, racism, and diversity. I am a DEI consultant, educator, writer, and professor who strives to center my work around the liberation of Black folks globally. More specifically, I examine and unpack how we can create structures that support the most marginalized folks in the workplace. This is a podcast where I will share my thoughts on all things diversity, equity, inclusion, racism, anti-racism, and Black liberation. My goal is to stimulate your mind and shift you to think in a way that you've never considered before. This podcast will feature my thoughts as well as the perspectives of different folks doing related work. If you want to learn more, pick up my best-selling books, Dirty Diversity and The Pink Elephant, where I explore workplace equity in more detail. Thank you for listening. Hey y'all, Jay Nice on the mic, back with another episode of the Dirty Diversity Podcast. So as I am recording this, I we are just a little over a week away from the release of my third book, Decentering Whiteness in the Workplace. I am super excited isn't really the word. I think I'm just ready for it to be out in the world because it's almost like you know, like a baby, right? You, you, it's starting from its inception, right? I remember when I started writing this book, it was literally a year ago, right? Where I got the book deal, I think it was either in October or November that I got the publishing deal and my first two books were self-published. So it was a really big deal for me that I was publishing now the traditional route and through a company that um, was distributed by Penguin Random House, which is one of the, you know, one of the largest publishing houses. So I am just ready for this moment. I'm also, if I'm being 100% transparent, I think I'm just a little like exhausted from preparing for a book launch, right? It's like what goes into you know, preparing for anything that you've prepared for for a year. I've poured a lot into this and I'm just so ready for the book to just be out in the world. You know, you just want everything to go well. And I think because I mentioned, as I mentioned to y'all in the last episode, because I'm in the DMV area, I'm a little out of my normal like element. And I think being away from home and also like being in this time that is, I guess, traditionally for many authors, maybe a high stress time. I'm like a very low stress person. I, I stay pretty calm. I don't, it doesn't, I, I don't think I stress out easily. I think I'm able to like compartmentalize or like, I don't know, navigate stress, which I don't know if it is a good thing or a bad thing, but I think I'm just ready for y'all, for the listeners, for the folks that are in my community and even the folks that don't know anything about me and maybe just stumbled upon the book on their own. I'm just so ready for folks to have the book, right? And so, yeah, I'm I'm just really excited um, for y'all to have it. Also, I am doing a book giveaway. So for five of the listeners, um, of course, I, I want you to support the book 
pre-order, especially now during the pre-order period, is really important to help with just the visibility of the book and it lets the publishers know how many books they should actually order. And I'm really happy to announce that my publisher had to do a second book run or a book order, right? They ordered a certain amount and it wasn't enough for the pre-orders that came in. Then they had to order more. And then I think they said they might do a third run, which I'm really excited about. So, um, but I would love to give five of my books away. So if any of you listening are, maybe you haven't pre-ordered the book yet on whatever websites you use to pre-order, um, I will leave a link in the show notes to pre-order the book via Amazon. Unfortunately for those of y'all who, because some folks have hit me up and said they don't want to support Jeff Bezos. Um, so you can actually order pre-order the book through bookshop.org if you don't want to support Amazon. If you do, and unfortunately for authors, that's like the main place where our book can have visibility, right? Amazon kind of has a monopoly on the market, but um, I would greatly appreciate if you pre-order the book, if it sounds interesting to you, definitely pre-order, order one for you, your boss, your friends, your family, but I am going to give away five books of five copies of Decentering Whiteness in the Workplace. All that I need from you is for you to send me an email if you'd like a free copy. Send me an email at askdrjnice at gmail.com and just say hey i want a free book <laughs> and and um you'll just have to provide me with your mailing address and i will send you a free book i believe so much in my book that i'm willing to give it away right because obviously i want to sell books right but like my sole purpose behind writing the book isn't to make a million dollars right it's to put something out in the world that will outlive me Right. And that I know is will be beneficial to the world. So, again, if you'd like a free copy of my new book, a signed copy of Decentering Whiteness in the Workplace, be sure to send me an email at AskDrJNice. And just for being a listener of the podcast, I will send five lucky listeners a free copy of the book. Also, you know, if you feel compelled, if the book sounds interesting, I definitely need your support and would greatly appreciate if you pre-ordered. And hopefully if all goes well, the audiobook should be out the same time as the, I have to double check on that, but it should be out around the same time as the book. So I, this is, you know, the first time that I'm not voicing the audiobook. I like to listen when it's the author. But it's a amazing black woman voice actor who is doing the voice for my audiobook. So that is super exciting. So yeah, let's jump into today's episode. <clears throat> I feel much better. Thank y'all for asking. <laughs> I imagine that, that y'all are asking me how I'm feeling. Last time I recorded an episode, I was under the weather. Um, my partner, I think, had caught something and then I got it. And I feel much better now. I actually have like a remedy that my mom taught me that I always do when I'm feeling under the weather that I'll recommend to y'all because we're getting into spooky season and winter season and just like flu season and COVID season and all of these things. So I just boil the skins of grapefruit, lemon, and oranges if I feel sick, whatever it is. And usually within a few days, I feel better. So... 
I did that for a few days and I think also rest was really important and I felt better. So I feel almost 100%. I feel like mm, 90, 98%, right? But I think the traveling I've had to do September and October have been heavy travel months for me. I think I might have mentioned that <clears throat> in a previous episode and I'm really looking forward to November when I will sit my butt at home and I won't be doing as much traveling. So I am in a few days I'm going to Minnesota and then I am going back to New York the week that the book is releasing because I have some book release events. So if any of you listening are in the New York City area and you want to join me for my book release party, I would love to have you there. I'm having a book release party in Midtown Manhattan. The link to get your tickets are in the show notes. Also, if finances and if cost is a barrier, you can always just send me an email at the same email, askdrjnice at gmail.com and just say, hey, am I able to get a complimentary ticket? And I can give you as many complimentary tickets as you need. Um, So yeah, just send me an email. Tickets are $20 to the book release event and there will be some wine, some light refreshments. So definitely I would love to have y'all there. All the information is in the show notes. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. So Catalyst just released, Catalyst, some of you may be familiar, is like a organization that specializes in doing research. It it often isn't only about women, but the research relates to different types of bias. Uh, I I feel like a lot of their focus is on gender bias and um, women's experiences in the workplace, but they did this really interesting study that was on racism in the workplace and what people experience as far as racism and racist experiences. And, you know, what I was, so it found its way into my inbox and what I loved or what I was really excited to read, not excited that this is people's lived reality, but I was excited that there is starting to be more conversation about the role that whiteness and whiteness being centered plays in our workplaces, right? So they they did this study where they surveyed thousands of people in the US, Canada, the UK, um, and a few other countries to assess workplace experiences. And Okay, so I wanted to make sure I pulled it up. It was 5,000 employees from racially and ethnically marginalized backgrounds in Australia, Canada, New Zealand, South Africa, the United States, and the United Kingdom. And the results of their report weren't really surprising, right? So for example, and I wrote an article about this for Forbes, so I put that in the show notes if you want to check it out. And I'll also put a link to the actual report if you want to dive in deeper. Um, so some of the results showed that like 66% of respondents experienced racism at work during their career, right? And 52% of respondents experienced racism at their current job. Not surprising. 48% of respondents have experienced racism in the form of workplace harassment and 32% of respondents experience racism in the form of employment and professional inequities. Um, That part wasn't surprising, right? 
as a black woman who has worked many jobs, you know, that it's just a lot of us, a lot of black women, black people, people of the global majority experience racism, right? That's the fact of the matter. But what was really interesting, like I said, was that when the report dived into like, what is the cause of racism? One of the most notable things that was in the report, which I was happy to see because I literally just wrote a whole book on whiteness being centered. But what the the authors of the report talked about was whiteness as the default and how um, the role that white dominant culture plays in perpetuating racial racist norms and inequities in the workplace right and so i've written about this and what was so cool is so a pr person from catalyst sent me the report and just you know was like do you agree to the embargo are you interested in writing about this and i was like yeah you can send it to me when i started reading through the report i was like interesting and then i scrolled to the end and i saw that two of my articles were cited in the report i was like that's dope because i don't know the researchers I think I might be connected with a few of them on LinkedIn, but we're not like, it's not like they're my, you know, BFFs, like we know each other, right? So it would be one thing if I like knew them, then it's like, yeah, you got to cite me, (laughs) right? Um, But it's like, we don't know each other and they were obviously doing research and they found my writing. And so I thought, oh, that's amazing. Like I was cited in this report and I find it really interesting, but they talked about whiteness as the default and how for people of the global majority when we show up in workplaces the fact that whiteness is the norm makes it harder for us to navigate the workplace means that we are judged more harshly in the workplace and our white counterparts and there are a plethora of consequences that result from whiteness as the default right and so I've I've talked about this Again, it's like a shameless plug, but not really a shameless plug because I literally have a almost 200 page book where I I talk about this. But, you know, like I talk, I go into detail in the book about like ways that whiteness is centered in the workplace. Like, what does that actually look like? Right. Because I think we know what it is, but we probably don't have the, the language for it. We don't we might not call it whiteness as the default or whiteness being centered right but it shows up in so many different ways and there's a ton of research that essentially like supports the fact that it exists and it's not just a thing that is made up in the heads of people of the global majority and so the authors of the report went into detail about like how organizations can actually address whiteness as the default and i talked about this in my article that I wrote. So, so for those of you listening who are like, Hey, whiteness is centered in my workplace, which, you know, I would argue this is an issue in every workplace. What are some things you can actually do to address it? Well, the first thing I would say is definitely buy my book or, you know, get my, get your hands on my book because I go into detail about this, but to break it down and, and, um, kind of outline what I talked about in the article, The first thing that you want to make sure that you understand is the ways that whiteness and whiteness as the default and whiteness is centered in your workplace culture. Invest in folks like me and other educators 
to help you outline and elucidate and figure out the ways that whiteness is centered and prioritized within workplace norms and systems. Because in order to address a problem, you have to have an understanding of the problem and how the problem exists. I think the issue is a lot of organizations don't have conversations about whiteness as a system and don't understand the ways that it impacts and perpetuates exclusion and racism, right? So the first thing I would say is definitely asking yourself, do we understand as an organization the ways that whiteness is prioritized and centered and is normalized? And the second thing that I wrote about is implementing the importance of implementing interventions that promote equity, right? And so in the book, I go into detail about objective measures to assess employees, right? Whether it's employee performance or uh, employee job fit, right? What are the objective measures you're using to ensure that when you're making employment decisions, these decisions aren't being made based on who you like, who you don't like, based on, you know, these superficial factors, right? So that's important to make sure of. And I think frequently auditing the workplace environment, um, whether that's through like an equity auditor or a consultant, or maybe you have an in-house person, like frequently auditing your workplace systems is vital because there are so many places within our workplace systems that bias is able to creep in, even though most of the time it's very unintentional, right? Obviously, we're not looking to engage in biased behavior, but by not having objective systems, we are opening ourselves up to falling into the whiteness as the default trap. So I would definitely say assessing your workplace systems to look for ways to create more objectivity. And then lastly, you know, I talked about in the article, and I've, I've written about this before, which is accountability measures, right? I always say that no anti-racism efforts will be sustainable if there are not accountability measures in place. Every instance, I wrote in the article, every instance of workplace harm that is reported should be taken seriously and there should be a place to a process in place to investigate and address any instances of workplace harm, right? Because one thing that was really interesting, two things that were really interesting about, well, I would say two things that were interesting, but one wasn't surprising was that 40, the the research, the article, uh, the catalyst research found that 41% of respondents indicated that leaders were the instigators in racist workplace behaviors, right? So when I experienced racism, um, when they surveyed uh, respondents to say who caused, you know, who was the cause of the racist behaviors, 41% of respondents, so the highest amount of respondents indicated that leaders were the cause, right? 36% of respondents said co-workers were the cause and 23% of respondents said clients or customers, right? And we don't have, as an organization, you don't have a lot of control over the clients or customers. You can control how you react in the aftermath, right? But the clients and customers is just like, that's something that you have the least amount of control over. But leaders, that's an important sort of figure. 
And so uh, what kind of environment are you creating to address workplace harm that is caused at the hands of leaders? That is really important to, to think about. So I said that there were three things that were interesting. So the other thing, not surprising at all, was that the report found that the majority of racist workplace behaviors are committed by white people. I don't think that's surprising. I don't think that that's shocking to anyone, but I did feel like it was important to note. So the uh, Catalyst report found that 78% of respondents said that white people were, were the instigators when it came to racist workplace experiences, right? So in 78% of the cases where workplace ex- racist workplace experiences took place, it was at the hands of white people. Again, not surprising. What was interesting, though, was that they also examined gender demographics and they found that both men and women are equally likely to be the cause of workplace racism. I don't know if I was surprised, right? I think we assume that women are the nice ones and women and femmes and people who identify as women aren't going to engage in harmful behaviors. But I think that, you know, the report indicated that it doesn't matter what gender you identify as, you you can still be likely to engage in these behaviors. So I, I thought that that was really, those factors were really, really interesting. But going back to the accountability piece, I talked about this in many articles before, but you want to think about what systems are in place or could be in place to hold leaders accountable for the harm that they cause and what systems are in place to hold employees accountable for the harm. I think HR is usually the first or second line of defense when it comes to addressing harm caused by employees, but oftentimes leaders get a slap on the wrist or they get off I don't want to say scotch free, but they there aren't a lot of repercussions for leaders who engage in workplace harm. And this research as well as a wealth of other studies have indicated that leaders are the cause of a lot of these toxic and harmful workplace behaviors. So you have to think about how you're going to actually hold leaders accountable. Accountability is like the most important link to any, the most important piece rather of any DEI or anti-racism and anti-oppression program in the workplace. No program will be successful if leaders are not being held accountable. Well, what does that look like is what you might be thinking. So I've seen where companies reward leaders rather than like having punitive measures for leaders that maybe don't help the organization achieve their DEI goals. I've seen where leaders are rewarded for helping the organization and, you know, really like pushing equity in the workplace. So that could be in, in the form of a promotion or a raise or some sort of monetary compensation, right? So I've seen that before. And some of the research does indicate that there are positive outcomes when leaders are given monetary compensation to help entice them to carry out DEI goals, right? Um, The other thing that I always recommend to clients, and y'all are getting some free game right here, and I know I've talked about this before, is like having some sort of way to evaluate leaders, right? Oftentimes, evaluations are top down 
leaders aren't aren't excited about this, but I think there should be a way for employees to evaluate leadership, right? And so putting that power in employee hands can be a way to create an accountability system because back when I was a professor, when I, like I never, I always thought like, I want to teach in a way that I get good evaluations, right? Unfortunately, for many of us as professors, that's what we think about, right? We think about like, how can I teach this course in a way that students will be happy? And of course you want them to learn, but in a lot of instances, you really want good evaluations. How do I, what does that look like for me as a professor? And if I am a leader and I know that at the end of the quarter, my direct reports will evaluate my performance. I'm going to make sure I'm on my P's and my Q's and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And I'm really cultivating the environment that makes people feel safe. Right. So. So, yeah, I think that it's important. The accountability systems are vital. Right. And so really, I encourage you all to read the article I wrote about the catalyst report read the catalyst report and think about how you can apply some of the findings into your workplace and i would say i think that the number one thing you have to think about is what are the ways that whiteness is centered in our workplace what is what are the ways whiteness is the default and how do we actively decenter whiteness in our workplaces so that is where I'm going to leave off today's episode. I hope y'all found it interesting. Again, all the resources that I mentioned are in the show notes. And if you're in the New York City area, I would love for you to uh, attend my book release party. If cost is an issue and if the $20 for the ticket is a barrier, you can definitely send me an email at AskDrJNice. And um, I will you know, send you a the code for a complimentary ticket. I would love to just have y'all there to celebrate with me and yeah, pre-order the book. It'll be out on October 24th. I look forward to more episodes. I will try to stay consistent <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff going on and yeah, I'll be, you can catch me anywhere on any social media platform, mostly on LinkedIn and Instagram, but um, I will check y'all out in the next episode. Thank y'all so much for listening.